In the early years of my life as a church musician, I remember the pastors would drop in every so often and you know, commend us for our service and thank us for the time that we put in. But also they came to impress upon us the importance of the role that we played with regard to the church service. You know, they would say stuff like, hey guys, what you're doing is so important because, you know, the members of the congregation, you know, they're out in the quote unquote the real world like all week long and it's harsh there. You know, they're facing a lot of pressure. There's a lot of problems and it's important that when they come into the church that we help set the environment up in such a way that it allows for them to forget about the cares and the problems of their lives for a while sit there and and allow for them to be encouraged to get back out there and face uh, the so-called real world in which they live. In a parallel life as a professional musician, you know, I played for various bands throughout the years, some of them cover bands. You know, our manager as well as the club owners, they too would set us aside every so often and give us a pep talk and and their spiel kind of went this way. They'd be like, hey guys, you know, the patrons of the club that you're about to play for, you know, they're out in the quote unquote the real world like all week long. And, you know, when they come in here, you know, they're expecting, you know, to be taken into another world, you know. And, and so you guys just make sure you dial in your performance well. Make sure the lineup is set up in such a way that, it, you know, it, it, they can dance and sing and and that it would encourage them to drink alcohol and just kind of bring them into this other world. Did you guys catch how uncanny the similarity is? Somewhere out there is this thing known as the real world. And it's got real problems, real disappointments, real pressures. And coping with it is going to be so tough that at some point, people are going to need some form of an escape from it, even if it's just temporary. And depending on the kind of person you are, you get to choose the appropriate getaway. See, if you're religious, go to church. If you're like a creature of the night and are into happy love songs, come on down to the club. Whatever it is you do or whatever it is you go, it doesn't really matter Just leave your real life behind for a while because your sanity might depend on it. When I had first started reading the scriptures seriously, I found something so conflicting that I couldn't make sense of it for a while. Somehow, I had been trained, or maybe I trained myself, to subconsciously think that anything that had to do with God was supposed to leave me feeling all happy and giddy and end resolved it disturbed me that the scriptures didn't always do that. Now, don't get me wrong. The Bible is full of great hymns of praise, passages that will inspire joy and hope, you know, worthy to be the subjects of paintings and cross, you know, cross-stitched art sold in most Christian bookstores. However, to be honest, there are just as much sections that are a bit depressing, you know, outright weird, Some passages seem to contradict or worse, call into question the very character of God himself. They made me secretly wonder how in the world did they even get there to begin with. After years of silently struggling 
it began to dawn on me that maybe God wasn't so interested in providing a temporary escape from our so-called real world. Maybe he wasn't about giving us a shot on the arm experience to some alternate reality which lasts but a few moments, only to leave us crashing back to planet Earth. More and more, it made sense that God has always been trying to meet us where we are and that the encounters with him would help transform us, not in some other dimension, but right where our real lives exist. And the more I embraced not just the glorious verses of the scriptures, but even the depressing, the weird, and even the sometimes boring passages, I began to see that God was tackling all of that, what we would experience to be human. He was giving us his word as a companion for all the seasons of life. Author of the Bible Jesus read, um, Philip Yancey, had this to say. Check this out. God was big enough to include in his revealed word arguments we would potentially use against him. So long before you know, guys like Frederick Nietzsche, Bertrand Russell, and David Hume you know, started tossing questions about the validity of God. The Psalms, the book of Job, the book of Ecclesiastes, as well as the prophets, had not only given us free access to these questions, they actually supplied us with them. These writings take us boldly through some hard issues, you know, like, like the silence of God during trying times the seeming randomness of life, suffering and pain in the world and why they often happen to people who don't deserve them. Sometimes they'll give amazing insight into understanding these subjects and yet most of the time they leave it unresolved, completely stripping us of no place to fall other than the sovereignty of God. While God doesn't unveil every mystery of life in these writings, it appears what God is doing is he's giving us a voice to vent. I'm not sure why and I'm not sure how, but somewhere in the mix, somewhere in the mix, God seems to value your honesty and my honesty. He seems to abhor pretension. It was like as if God himself knew that real life on planet Earth won't always look like it was created by an infinitely loving God. So he took the brave step of crafting for us a language by which we can express our true feelings, whether for or sometimes against him. In the last few moments of his life, Jesus, while hanging on a Roman cross, had no words of his own to express his feelings of abandonment. And so he quotes an ancient poet king. He goes, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus himself needed to borrow a line to get stuff out of his chest. In a world where we're used to managing our image, you know, we hide behind walls and we put up fronts, God knew that we too would need help in exposing our true selves. The overall theme of the narrative we find in the scriptures tell us that God has always been trying to pursue an intimate and personal relationship with people. If that is indeed true, 
that it makes sense that God would allow for humans some latitude to be honest about what it is they really think and feel in the depths and the corners of their hearts. See, the greatest enemy of intimacy, the greatest enemy of intimacy is pretense. You simply can't know anybody intimately unless they expose who they really are inside. Relationships characterized by intimacy often survive a test of time not because the individuals can make logical sense of why the other person feels a certain way, only the truth that these feelings exist. In other words, I don't always have to understand why you feel that way. I only need to understand that you feel that way. To put it simply, because God loves you and wants an intimate relationship with you, he has made room for you to be you. You don't have to jump high. You don't have to duck low. You don't have to do whatever it is you think you need to do to get to God. The invitation is come. Come as you are. Come with your baggage. And most certainly, come with your questions and even your doubts. He's a big God. And he can handle them. You don't need another world. You don't need to use your illusion.